Happy Lake Forest Day, everyone. Come join Scoo Walker and myself during the parade in front of Dakota Insurance that's over by the Lantern and Inez. Come on by. We'll be giving out popcorn and scoozies while supplies last. We'll also be recording a podcast, so if you want to get on air, stop by. Hey, if you can't see us at the parade, stop by later between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. at the Lake Forest Day Beer Tent. Scoo and I will also be bartending. So come on by, give me a ticket, we'll give you a beer. 4 to 6 p.m. Lake Forest Day Beer Tent. Look forward to seeing you and happy Lake Forest Day. Enjoy the show. I'm Art Miller. This is Art Class, and it's about to begin. Please take your seats. This is the Lake Forest Podcast. Welcome to the Lake Forest Podcast, a podcast about the lovely city of Lake Forest, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, food, and history. My name is Pete, and I'm joined with my co-host, Lake Forest history legend, Arthur Miller. And we both live in Lake Forest. But before we start Art Class, we have a sponsor for the show, Dakota Insurance Group. They've got your back. Why? Because that's what friends are for. Ask for Pam. Dakota Insurance handles all your residential and commercial insurance needs. Get a quote now at dakotainsurancegroup.com. Okay, one of the goals of the podcast is for our listeners to learn just a little bit more about Lake Forest. Well, who better to teach us about Lake Forest history than our own Lake Forest history legend, Arthur Miller? Okay, everyone, take your seats, fold your hands, put them on top of the desk. Our class is about to begin. Art, how you been? I'm just great. I've been super. How about you? Oh, absolutely fantastic. Lake Forest Day we're recording on. Yeah. Start of. The first, the first day of Lake Forest Day. I just have one more story after the last one. It has to do with the book that was done by the, um, the Historical Society, which was the predecessor of the History Center. They did it in 2008 for the 100th anniversary of Lake Forest Day, which had started at Lake Forest College. The book shows a picture of an elephant or a couple of pictures of an elephant in 1993. Okay. There, they said there had been two other times when there were elephants. That, however, was the only time I was ever involved with the elephant. Uh, the Rotary Club um, brought the elephant to the fair, arranged to have it go. And it was a big success as a relatively not central member of that organization. I was assigned to one of the most interesting jobs you can have with an elephant following along behind with a shovel and a wagon. <laughs> Sound like me and Scoo. <laughs> <laughs> it was a memorable occasion. A memorable occasion. And you wouldn't believe how that large animal really processed a lot of material onto the pavement. That was a memorable time for me. But it was a big success. And people couldn't ride on them, you know. Probably now they'd have half the county people who are anti-cruelty to animals, you know, all over them like a cheap suit, you know. Back then, it wasn't so sensitive, and it wasn't so clear that the animal was not happy. He seemed yeah. perfectly happy to munch along. He was tame, 
and yeah. he munched and munched and he uh, processed food on a regular basis. And uh, a few kids climbed on top and stuff, but that he didn't seem to be dis- disrupted by that. I don't know if the keeper fed him phenobarbital or anything, but take quite a bit to slow that thing down. I was wondering how long it would, we, it would take for us to talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's my, yeah. that's my last Lake Forest Day story because that was just, but the picture struck me about the elephant and reminded me of the whole thing. So what I wanted to talk about this time, because I mentioned Lake Forest College was the first place they had the Lake Forest Day celebration in 2008. And for a few years after, I mean, 1908, and a few years after that, they went from the North Campus, which is at Deer, P- Deer Path and Sheridan, and ranged clear over to Farwell Field for field events and stuff like that. Um, Farwell Field is at Illinois and uh, Washington. So that's probably over half a mile away. So they, the whole campus was involved and they had different things that on the North campus, they had flower displays and everything from the North Shore Horticultural Association. So it was a very big event and it started out on a Wednesday afternoon because that's when all the people who worked in town had off because they worked the other days. They worked for all yeah. day Saturday. So um, that leads me into talking about just how old Lake Forest College is and um, about the building that's about to be completed later this year. Renovation, not the first, but the current renovation of what started out as being University Hall in 1878. Um, it's a brick building. It's five stories tall on, a tall, on top of a tall basement, I think. I think that's right. Uh, but it's pretty tall. And it's maybe the tallest thing on the east side of the tracks. You know. It was made from bricks, made from clay that the students dug on the campus. They dug up the clay and then they put it into forms and they baked the bricks in a kiln, you know, and used those for the construction. They had actually people who knew how to lay bricks do the work, but the material was created from the dirt of the campus. Well, it's clay of the campus, the moraine, and that became, and that's a permanent building. I mean, it's been there since eight, it was completed in over the summer of 1878 and opened in the fall of 1878. So it was uh, designed in kind of a late or in a post Chicago fire quick and dirty style, not too refined. Um, Everybody was rebuilding and it was built after a fire in 1877 of a lakefront five or six story lakefront resort hotel that had gone bust after the Chicago fire. The students as they were in there in December in this summer hotel and freezing, you know, their tails off, were making fires in the fireplaces. And somehow that led to the whole thing just going up in flames. So they needed to come up with something new, uh, fireproof, ideally, because the kids were, you know, not so reliable on that. This plan was done. It was done by the, the layout or what they wanted to put in the building. The plan for what had to be in it and kind of where, what floor it would be on was worked out by a guy who was one of the professors. He was kind of the acting president after March of, of 1878. He was the president and acting president. And then they completed the building in the fall, by the fall, 
so they could bring in a permanent president from further, another college further east. And that was amazing. I mean, we couldn't build, look at how big it is. You couldn't build that today, this over the summer. You'd have, you know, think of the paperwork, think of the everything, you know, getting this, you know, you'd have supply chain infelicities, you know. Well, their supply chain was right there. Yeah. <laughs> they dug it up. <laughs> and the kids were there. And they maybe had to make molds and build a kiln or a fireplace, you know, and that was it. So it went up by the 1890s. They were already talking about demoing it. Um, they thought it didn't match what their plans were for the campus to look more elegant, more refined. Uh, they started re they started working on reimagining themselves as a college, not a university. Uh, after the University of Chicago got started in um, 1892, it opened classes, and they had called up and made an offer. The president of the University of Chicago thought that it might be a nice thing to have Lake Forest be a branch of the University of Chicago. Um, the faculty were delighted because they had more money. John D. Rockefeller was paying their salaries, but uh, the alumni and the supporters didn't want to exactly do that much to the faculty's chagrin that they were going to get a big raise. And they held off. And then they had a new president from 1893 to 1896. And then the University of Chicago tried a different strategy. They hired the president to head a program down at Chicago with a huge endowment. You know, he probably made a killing. And they thought that would pull the college in. That would be their, what would do it. Well, it didn't. They had an acting president from 1896-97. Then they they appointed the minister, the local minister at the Presbyterian Church, to be the permanent president from 1897 to 1901. He was doing both jobs. Um, But mostly he milked his um, parishioners, who were new wealthy people, to build all the buildings on campus. So there were several buildings that went up at that time. But earlier than that, they had already built this great big brick building that was then renamed College Hall as soon as they kind of re-engineered themselves. And they put up other buildings around it that were smaller to, to, to suggest a smaller kind of ambition, you know. But that building, the, the alums loved it. It was almost, you know, too big to kill. And it was so sturdy. It just, they didn't have a problem with it. It went along like that um, pretty much until 1981. It didn't have an elevator. In 1981, they refurbished it a lot. There'd been minor refurbishments along the way for fire protection and stuff like that, but nothing major until 1981. At that time, an elevator went in, which made the upper floors useful, really. And it looked nice and everything. Um, And of course, that's 40 years ago. So if you have a house in Lake Forest and you lived in it for 40 years, and if you hadn't made some changes, um, you were looking at some big ticket items, you know. So that's why they're redoing it. And one of the trustees and his wife have stepped up and they made a, ma- a major gift, probably half of the amount of money being raised, which is like 20 something, I think, um, to, to make this possible. And it's named Brown for, for them. It's a wonderful thing they're doing because they built in back of it an addition. There had been an addition put up in 1951 from an estate that was just west of the tollway. 
on the north-hand side of the street. Um, older people here will remember that there was a white house, kind of a nice looking kind of country place on the north side of um, 60 when you went out past, the, went across the tollway. Uh, it was torn down within the last decade, I would guess. But there had also been there a dog kennel and they'd raised dogs out there. I don't know if they were hunting hounds or what kind of things, but it was a standard plan for a dog kennel. Well, the dog kennel was, new people bought the place. The dog kennel became redundant, as we would say. So they hired one of the alums from Lake Forest College, Stanley Anderson, who graduated in 1916, um, was um, Pershing's aide-de-camp in, in World War I, and then studied at the Col de Bozar over there for architecture. And after having started out at, at uh, University of Illinois, but they, he didn't finish there because of the war. Um, so he came back and by 1951, he had a very established practice, well-known, did Lake Forest High School, did a bunch of things in town and elsewhere. He was hired to go out to that doghouse, take it apart, and then reassemble it behind that 1878 building. It was going to be the student union for the post-war period. Now, we think of it as post-war, but having grown up in that period, being born in the early 40s, I know that it was also post-depression, and people made do with a lot of stuff that, you know, people would laugh about making do with now. Um, there was a lot of what we, and thank God it never happens anymore, but there was a lot of inflation after World War II. Um, there was a lot of money that had been accumulated for four years. People had, were driving 15-year-old rundown cars from 1929, and they were ready for a new car and to build a new house. And there was no stuff. Well, you could get the stuff, but you had to pay triple to get it. So they used this, they got this stuff, they moved this thing over there that had materials, reassembled the doghouse. And that's what the union was called, the doghouse. And <laughs> it was sort of their canteen and everything like that. And people have fond memories of singing folk songs there and everything. Well, they just tore that down. After 70 years of service, they just tore that down a year or two ago. Can you imagine a used doghouse holding up for 70 years? You know, well, it had been rebuilt by a, a faculty or a student alumni architect. So that put some, you know, made it nice. But that now has been torn down. And the Browns have provided for a big wing behind it, very compatible in terms of color, in terms of window forms. Uh, and everything to go with the original building. It's only three stories high, not five stories high. So the two top floors over the treetops still have views of the lake, which is pretty spectacular up there. Um, it's really nice. So that building's all being restored, but it's a, it shows you know this, this building, which was built um, under basically very crude conditions, pioneering type conditions in the 1870s is probably one of the biggest, uh, oldest, and permanent buildings, you know, on the, up on the Upper North Shore. I don't think I know of any others bigger, older. Uh, yeah. big, there are a lot of big buildings that were wooden that were built uh, that are gone, you know, but that one stands out. Um, and it was it was styled in kind of a combination Gothic and French Second Empire style, which was post-fire kind of um, 
mixed together. They called that Queen Anne back in those days. Um, it had a big wooden front porch because the, the front facade was so flat. I mean, it's just flat as a pancake. Um, it, to give it some interest, there was this big wooden porch. Well, the porch was completely rotted out by 1935. And this same Stanley Anderson had come along and placed it just a little covering that was like one done by Frost and Granger for a neighboring building. Um, just a one-story um, covered entry, you know, kind of formal looking. And he did that. Well, when they redid the building in 1981, the fire marshal was still watching things very carefully, you know, because this building was old and didn't want wood up against the building. So that earlier wooden, smaller thing, it was toast again. They built something out of steel beams, I-beams and stuff like that. Um, they It probably took it a good six months before it started to rust out. <laughs> 1981. It's yeah. been a nightmare for the people who have to maintain it because it has to be scraped and painted and painted and scraped, scraped and painted. Um, so they, they, it masked the, it was the original massing kind of of the porch, except it didn't have a big front step down the front because they, in 1968, they had had a garden put in by hoity-toity fancy folks um, that were experts and everything. And that's still there. And so they didn't want to tear that up because that was important and everything. So anyway, I'm not exactly sure what I've seen them. I've seen a picture of what they're doing. But they're going to try to do something else in that same vein because that flat building is just too flat without something up there. The main floor um, was up above this large basement. First floor, which you stepped down a couple of steps to go into, more than a basement, less than a full story. Um, the, the, the main floor was this upper floor, which is like what they call piano nobile or something like that, which is your big public room. So on the south, there was a chapel. On the north, uh, or the if you're looking from the west to the east, it would be on the right. There was the chapel. On the left was the um, library. They had a big library already. They had classrooms sprinkled around. They had students living on the upper floors, and then some faculty families, faculty and sometimes their wives. Um, whether the students were living, they had had to hand, give handouts, make clear that everybody knew that you were not supposed to empty your slop jar just down out the window because you might be, it may, may be unpleasant to the people who were below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indoor plumbing had not yet reached a stage where a college student would be using it, you know. So there people were taking shortcuts of just throwing it out the window, which was frowned upon, shall we say, by the uh, authorities. I'll say. <laughs> so it was pretty crude at the beginning. On the upper floor, at the top floor, there were a bunch of what they call literary societies, which had their little club rooms. And they, they would do debating societies and they would do other stuff, too, that was more heading toward fraternities, but weren't fraternities. Uh, the college only had fraternities for a relatively short period of time from the 1890s to the 1960s. They had fraternities. 
the, the ministers who ran everything weren't in favor of it. So that early on, it didn't happen until the 1890s. And at that point, there had been built the Wednesday Club. And so the students were creeping, the men in the fraternities were creeping toward the Inwensia Club, you know. Right. They right. were they wanted to be over there where the action was and playing polo and stuff. They were you know, doing stuff. So they um, this became kind of a crisis. So there was a big flap in the first decade of the 20th century. Cyrus McCormick, who lived in Lake Forest and was one of the trustees, and his father had been a trustee too, uh, Cyrus McCormick Jr., and a few others. They another guy named can't remember, David B. Jones, who lived at Deer Path, just south of Deer, uh, just south of Deer Path on Green Bay Road, big house back in there from 1890s, owned by the Medline family, it was actually, now, I mean, recently, until the guy died not long ago, that couple of guys met with the president at, he was coming out to, there was a new president going to be at Lake Forest College in 1901, the son of a Supreme Court judge named Harlan, and President Harlan was going to be the new president. So this guy from the president of Princeton came out to visit. Well, they had a little luncheon meeting with him and told him he was going to retire the president of Princeton. And they were going to put together a retirement package for him that included giving lectures in different places. But basically, they were going to make it financially attractive to him to retire. And that was so they could put in Woodrow Wilson as president of of, of, of um, Princeton. So that happened. Um, and Wilson's supposed to have visited here in 1900, too, uh, although the records for it don't exist here. So the, the, this guy that came from Princeton, because Lake Forest at that point, Presbyterian like Princeton, it was kind of a farm club for people at Princeton. So right. they'd be called up, you know, to maybe go there. And so um, these trustees at Lake Forest College, um, this David B. Jones became a trustee at Princeton later. And they had first done, they built some, some new um, dormitories for men. Uh, you see them kind of big double pillared things when you go along Sheridan Road. Those were built in 1907 and 1908 to bring the men back from the fraternity houses. They were going to close the fraternity houses and the men had lived in there, but they would each get, each fraternity would get an area that was theirs with a nice room and everything like that. And they were going to build a dining hall. The only kicker was it was going to be a very fancy dining hall. The only kicker was they were going to have dinner with the scholarship students. That was <laughs> that was an era when everybody was getting kind of class conscious, you know. So they were fighting against right. that. That was that went along. They had some problems with the president, this President Harlan. So uh, he got Carnegie to build a building for them, a physics hall. Then the trouble is that the, well, they just, they just didn't get along with the faculty for whatever reason. So he was kind of driven off. But this David B. Jones and Woodrow Wilson cooked up the idea. They would build those same kind of dorms for Princeton uh, for their eating clubs that they had there. And they would bring the eating clubs back onto campus and not on those different things. Well, the difference between Chicago and New York was the New Yorkers who basically ran Princeton, um, were very entrenched, and they were not about to do that, and they fought it off. And from 1906 until 1910, Woodrow Wilson was trying to get this project done. Didn't happen. So he decided he would take his dollies and go home. He would run for 
He, he wouldn't play with him anymore. He was going to run for governor of New Jersey in 1910, which he did, and he won. The um, Republicans had a, a dust-up, and they, instead of Roosevelt, Roosevelt had said he wouldn't run in 1908, I guess it was, or seven, and so they, he, he handed the baton to William Howard Taft. Well, half Taft was much more conservative. He was an actual real Republican. <laughs> Where Roosevelt progressive. Roosevelt was really a progressive Republican, which there used to be a lot of, but they don't exist anymore. He then ruled that he had not, they said he wouldn't run for president again. So in 1912, he tried to run for president. Well, Taft got nominated at the at their convention. So Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt, as he pronounced it, created his own blinkety blink convention uh, for the Bull Moose Party and was nominated for that. So the Republicans basically ran two candidates. The Democrats run ran Wilson for president. It was a foregone conclusion that by dividing the Republicans, the Democrats they did, they could have run. You know, that emu like on the Liberty Mutual commercials, you know, and it would have won probably. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson did win, uh, then did what he was working with Brandeis. He figured he was going to do. He actually reinstituted the income tax, which had been let to lapse in, 19, in 1872. Um, so all of a sudden he was a traitor to his class. You know. If... Princeton had let Wilson build the dormitories like he like the Lake Forest ones that were here, uh, and this is written up in the college history. Um, if they if he'd let if they'd let him build the dormitories, he would have never gone off and run for governor, would have never run for president, would never have won, and there'd be no income tax. <laughs> oh, geez. So it all started at Lake Forest. Why you got an income tax? <laughs> I think that's going to be that's going to be the headline. <laughs> but um you know today uh people can make contributions and stuff and it does them tax benefits you know if they make a big donation for college buildings and steve scott who's been president for 20 years is going to retire next year and um he's done a fantastic job of raising money he's raised um he's built a whole bunch of built or added to a whole bunch of buildings, basically new buildings, but renovations of the old parts too. Um, started with the library, which got four floods in 18 months or something like that in, in 2000, 2001, and had to, they had to do something when, they, when, when he first got here. So it was a recession in 2001, 2002 after 9-11. Uh, um, and so the state passed a bunch of money to do infrastructure. Working with Susan Garrett, who's going to be the History Center's um, legend, legend person this year, um, working with Susan Garrett, he got state money to redo the library on the campus um, for several million dollars. Can't remember how many millions it was now. But um, they added to they, they they scraped down to the bare concrete, the old library. And they added a big wing, and the wing continues under the lawn at the college with the books and everything. Um, it's not even all above ground. So he did that first. Then he built a student union edition for the students where they could have big gatherings and everything. Of course, COVID 
didn't really help with that. But, you know, for students who like to be together, kind of a loud space and everything like that, big, big success. Um, he went on, he, he, they had an old dormitory from 1892 that has prob probably had been obsolete by, well, certainly before the 60s, but they fixed it up in the 60s. Uh, he tore that thing down, which was much, it had some historic interest, but it was not savable. And, and I love old buildings, but this one was shot. You know. It had burned. There wasn't much original character to it. Um, so he replaced it with a dorm that for twice as big, for twice as many students, um, called, and it's also called um, Moore Hall, for, named for one of the early presidents. Um, he built a big addition uh, for fitness and student, you know, kind of activities, not sports, but fitness kind of things. For students on the sports center, there was a 1968 sports center that he had um, greatly expanded, very nice. Um, and then in 2008, he remodeled, there was a 1962 science building that um, he remodeled and extensively added on to, to make it huge. And he's, he's conservative. He raises his money uh, before he does the work very careful. He doesn't get ahead of himself in that way. And he's built several buildings. And this is, this is going to be his crowning achievement, fixing this 1878 building, which has a pretty good structure. Um, but it, you know, it's, it needed more basic kind of reworking than had been done originally. You know, we thought in 1981, it was a big redo. And it was, but I mean, this is even a bigger, you know, he's made a major commitment to that, done lots of things to modernize the campus. And now he's held it together during the pandemic so far. I'm, that's knocking on wood because we got, you know, like where I live now, Lake Forest Place, yeah. yesterday they reinstituted mask requirements. So everybody here is. I mean, did everybody get vaccinated there? Yeah. But there, you know, that there's been talk about these infections that get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much of that is really true, but it's not every everybody wants to catch this before it gets bigger, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, because no, we've been there, done that. We don't want to do it again. No. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I feel sorry for all the people that don't have vaccines that are now they're in the crosshairs, you know. Right. This time. You know, he got, he's got through that. He's got a plan for this coming year. Even if they have to do things, they've got pretty good controls on their, in place. Everybody's got, this time they're requiring everybody. Last, they had, when they, last year when they opened up, there wasn't yet a vaccine, but now they're requiring a vaccine. So, because you can't tell a bunch of kids that they have to keep a social distance. Lots of luck, you know. Especially at one in the morning. Yeah. And after, especially, a, after a few. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. it's, um, you know, he's done everything he possibly can to keep the place running smoothly and manages finances carefully so that it works. So he gets a huge, uh, he, he deserves a huge vote of uh, thanks from everybody in the community because if that, if that place went toes up, yeah, that would be good for Lake Forest. It would be unhealthy. So the place is in great shape. Uh, the buildings have never been better and more, and um, 
So it's interesting, but it starts, it's hinged around this 1878 building. Now in 1880, well, 1879, there was a wooden academy building which burned uh, to the ground. Same thing, kids, you know, making fires. They built a building next to this 1878 building with the same materials. Uh, you can see it's called North Hall. It was given by the Farwell family, but they didn't um, want their name on stuff, I don't think. Um, and then they built a president's house the same year, 1880, which is now called Patterson Lodge, which is right by Sheridan Road. It's a house, big old house. And so those buildings have all been um, taken care of. Um, the administration building, that's North Hall. It's the stepchild. It's never been re restored, really. But it's still, it's decent, but it's, um, shall we say, historic in every way, <clears throat> starting with the bathrooms. But the Patterson Lodge has been restored, and this other building is now being restored again. So it's pretty neat. I just wanted to move into that about the college because they've, they're, they're starting to promote the idea of that having happened. And I'll just mention, this, since we talk about occasionally on the show, occasionally books that I've done. So this yeah. is called Lake Forest College, A Guide to the Campus, edited by Christopher Reed and moi, Art Miller. So this is eight. This is 20, so 2007, which was the 150th anniversary of this, the college's starting. And um, it's a guidebook to the campus. And it's got a lot of more information about this, that it's available in the college's bookstore. Uh, we'll sign off. And let's try and get Steve Scott on the show. Our, yeah, that, uh, I'll do that. Sorry. Bye, Art. Bye-bye. Happy Lake Forest Day, everyone. Come join Scoo Walker and myself during the parade in front of Dakota Insurance that's over by the Lantern and Inez. Come on by. We'll be giving out popcorn and scoozies while supplies last. We'll also be recording a podcast, so if you want to get on air, stop by. Hey, if you can't see us at the parade, stop by later between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. at the Lake Forest Day Beer Tent. Scoo and I will also be bartending. So come on by, give me a ticket. We'll give you a beer. 4 to 6 p.m. Lake Forest Day Beer Tent. Look forward to seeing you and happy Lake Forest Day. Thanks for listening to the Lake Forest Podcast. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you like to hear about in the upcoming shows. Again, I'm Pete and can be reached at Pete at LakeForestPodcast.com. The link will be in the podcast notes below. On behalf of my co-host, Arthur Miller, our class is now over. Cue the bell. Cue the band.